stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help, and if he takes it right to the rack. going on everybody it is a brand new episode of the feed to Embiid on a sunday night it is just a couple hours away from game two of the nba finals i am austin krell i covered the sixers as you know you can find me on twitter at nba krell we have another what is it four in a row brock is here brock landis my friend how are you I'm good, AK. You know, I always feel bad for the people that don't get to see you because you come with a different look every time. Last time it was the goatee. Now you look like Marco Bellinelli, brother. But I'm happy (laughs) to be with you. I always love talking basketball. We'll get into the Nick Nurse stuff. But before I watched the press conference, I watched it live and I streamed the live reaction. I was so happy to hear you get a question and, and, and get to have say your name and state your residence and ask Nick Nurse a question on his first day on the job. Appreciate it. Yeah, he. it's funny. I came in there, so I was late. Uh, I was like a couple minutes late. And it wasn't because I was being lazy. It was because literally I was driving from a million different places and traffic was just not great at that time. And I was trying to get there. It was just lit. So I was sprinting from my car in like khakis and like, you know, a driving loafers and a button down. I looked like I just come off a golf course or I just sold insurance to somebody. Entirely. <laughs> and so, and so I, I get in there and I'm like, it's like 80, 85, 90 degrees, and I am panting, like trying to catch my breath. I haven't run full sprint for more than three seconds in uh, over a year, probably. So I am sprinting my ass off just to get there, and I am dying, like sitting in my chair, puffing and puffing, trying to get any wind I can. And so when they call on me, and my hands start shaking because I'm like, it's like I'm trying to breathe right. and talk at the same time. And I was like, it's a miracle that I even got this question out. Um, and so as I introduced myself to him, and he's like, Austin, Austin. And I'm like, oh, and I, and I'm like yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I got my question in. It was four questions that I would have had had already been taken by some by other people. So I had to look down my list a little further. But seems like a nice guy. Uh, he has his work cut out for him, that's for sure. Let me ask you this. Uh, your impressions of the hire when the news broke versus – after the introductory press conference of Nick Nurse. So the Sixers hired him to do exactly what the Raptors hired him to do. What it, It's now four years ago, five years ago at this point, where the Raptors couldn't get past the same spot in the playoffs every year. They kept falling short early, but they had the roster to compete for a championship. They move on. They hire Nick Nurse. He quickly emerged as a young, innovative coach who's got a pretty intense personality. And he did exactly that, delivered a championship for the Raptors in his rookie season. Now you have to tamper expectations. You don't want to expect the guy to deliver a championship in his first season. And if he doesn't, then he's fired or it was a bad signing by Philadelphia. But that's what their intentions are, to bring a guy in with championship pedigree who's going to instill a culture and get everybody to buy in. Now, after the press conference, I'm even more sold. I thought he was really personable. I thought he was eager to answer everybody's questions, even Howard Eskin, who got three of them. And 
the interesting thing was every time he was asked a question about like nuances or more intellectual basketball stuff, not just surface level, like what do you intend to do with this roster, but more so like how can Maxi contribute on the defensive end? Like he was smiling before he even answered those questions. So it goes to show that he understands what he's coming here to do. He knows the personnel and and it just seems like he's a man of his word. He stands on what he believes in. And I think he's going to be a great hire for the Sixers. I I'm, I'm fascinated by like just the way in which he commands a room. I what I would say like, he's got this, yeah, there's this confidence about him. Um, and that isn't to say that doc wasn't confident, but it was just sort of like, you felt like this guy was coming in and he knew how to win. He had won before and he was going to show this group how to win. That was kind of the, the way that I felt about him leaving that press conference. Um, and I, you know, maybe it's the same old song and dance and it ends the same way it always does. It just, it, you, you felt like I got texted a couple people afterward. And I was like, this feels like, like a legitimate, real, type of basketball coach that you would see in a basketball type movie. And that isn't me saying that doc wasn't that guy, but you just sort of felt like you were watching coach Carter in a way. Like the what, during, you know, uh, nurse's introductory press conference he, or. Yeah. Yeah. There was this, there, there, there was this level of, you know, Joel's a great player, but I'm not here to just make Joel look good. We're going to figure out how to do this thing the right way and the way that's most conducive to the team. And I thought that was like the right way to approach it, obviously. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what he does, especially if this roster goes in without James Harden uh, or, you know, a viable replacement for James Harden because you're going to be, you know, you're going to have the odds in some sense stacked against you. Um, because you're not going to have the talent, obviously, that you had this past season. But there are a couple of quotes that made me – it's kind of stood out to me. And, it, you know, it, it intrigued me to watch film on those Raptors team 2018-19, and then I'm going to continue to watch film on, you know, those post-Kawhi years because I think there's a lot to learn. But uh, this was in response to my question. This is just a segment of my question. We want to score efficiently. Can we create more possessions than our opponent? Can we take efficient shots, have low turnovers, get on the offensive glass? All those things that make an efficient offense, and it looks different for every team. Um, so he says offensive glass, and obviously low turnovers, efficient shots. So efficient shots means rims and three, rim and threes. Uh, and I think you know there is a middle ground to be had there when you have a guy like Joel who is – a mid-range savant and you know he, he had Kawhi in Toronto and Kawhi was unbelievable from the mid-range in those playoffs and so a lot of his work came from the mid-range especially in isolation but you know uh, low turnovers um, doesn't it's not exactly a ringing endorsement of James Harden uh, and offensive glass uh, you know I think there are some pieces on the roster that don't fit that mold of an you know of an offensive glass eater the way that like Siakam was in that Toronto series in 2019 or what Kawhi was um Tobias Harris is an under is, is, is you know is a below average rebounder on the offensive glass especially for offensive. a forward 
And, you know, how does that fit in? So I already have some questions as to how this is going to work. Um, you know, and then I think we go over to another quote that he has about, you know, Maxie being more of a creator uh, and, you know, drawing more people than one and and then you're creating for others, uh, making the reads, um, you know, all those things. And so I, I think it poses a lot of questions as to how this thing is going to look. Um, I guess, what is currently your vision for how this is going to look in Philly? Well, part of the reason why I was so impressed with the introductory press conference is because there's only so much you can say on your first day of the job in June while the playoffs are still ongoing and you don't know who you're going to war with. I mean, let's be real. A lot of it depends on what happens with Harden. And I'm under the impression that the Sixers are going to do everything in their power to re-sign Harden, but it's going to be up to Harden. And a lot depends on that because if you don't have Harden, you have to allocate money elsewhere. You have to replace point guard. And the Sixers also, with Harden and Daniel House, had seven free agents at the beginning of free agency. So regardless of if you re-sign four, if you let three walk, if you let four walk, whatever the combination is that come in and go out you're gonna have to replace a handful of players so I thought he did the best with the hand he was dealt he didn't say too much as far as scheme because he doesn't know what scheme he's gonna apply but what we do know about Toronto is for the past five seasons they've been atop the league and limiting opponent points off of turnovers and second chance points so they get back on defense and they finish those possessions with rebounds and they get hustle plays. They win those 50-50 balls. They, they, they pressure the ball. There's a ton of great on-ball pressure that you can look at in Toronto from Fred VanVleet, Kyle Lowry in years past from their backcourt. So what we know about Nurse's teams are they pay close attention to detail and they execute. So I think regardless of whatever scheme is, he's going to be able to get more out of these guys in between the margins than Doc was able to just as far as defense and committing to boxing out and doing the dirty work, things like that. Yeah. So when I was looking through the tape of those old, uh, you know, the, the 2019 series against the Sixers, you know, with the Raptors and whatnot. And I was basically looking for similarities and, you know, how I think the offenses would conduct and the, how, how I think, you know, the, the Raptors would scheme defensively especially with the likes of a Marcus all in the middle there. Uh, Cause that's like a, a roughly a somewhat similar foundation uh, for the Sixers. Cause they have Joel and Joel is an awesome defensive player. Um, and the more I watched the Raptors in 2018, 19, I'm kind of left wondering number one, like, which offense was real? Was it the Toronto team that in the regular season uh, was eighth in uh, half-court offense um, or was it the team that was fifth because there is a difference and by the way the they actually produced less points for 100 possessions or for 100 half-court plays I should say in the playoffs but they were in half-court far you know far more than they were in the regular season so you kind of wonder you know does that, does that essentially draw even which is more valuable and I'm leaning towards that half-court offense being more valuable in the postseason because they were in it more and it only dropped off a little bit. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I'm watching that tape and I'm thinking, 
okay, their whole philosophy was basically like, let's you, you see this mismatch we have here, and it's you know it's it's the Sixers who are saying we're going to start Tobias on uh, Gasol in the in, in the post. Okay, well we're going to throw the ball to Gasol in the post because we think the Sixers are uncomfortable with living with Tobias on Gasol one on one in the post, and that means they're going to send help. And when that help comes, we're going to kick the ball around the floor, find the open man, and then we're going to attack from there. And sometimes it's going to be Joel. Sometimes it's going to be somebody else. And uh, Gasol, by the way, was also a pretty good passer. And I think, you know, they're, they're, when Nurse said he wants Joel to be a little bit more of a facilitator in that introductory press conference, I do wonder if the idea is we're going to, you know, make Joel more of a post-up center here but we're also going to try to make him more of a passer because we know that we're going to have possessions where they don't, the defense does not like it going at him in single coverage and they're going to send help. When the help comes, he has to be ready to kick the ball around the floor. And I do wonder, number one, will James be copacetic to that type of scheme where it isn't just, I'm going to pound the ball into the floor and I'm going to force two guys to come and then I'm going to, uh, kick the ball around the around the court and find the open man. Uh, James, James likes to force the advantage. Those Raptors, te- that Raptors team, twenty nineteen said, "We're just going to find the inherent advantage in the scheme that the defense is showing, and then we're going to make them draw too, and we're going to use it against them." So there is some force for some 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 push versus pull in terms of what Harden would like to do and uh, what you know Nurses Raptors did. I also think that there is going to be some push and pull between the way that they played with Joel as an MVP this year and the way that Nurse might envision an offense running. Um, in transition, he's going to want to push more, I think. Yep. Um, and, you know, defensively, they still played a lot of, you know, a good bit of drop against Sixers with, when it when it was uh, with Gasol, probably because he's a little bit older and because it was Ben Simmons there. Um, but also they trapped and, the ball handler a lot in the fourth quarter of, of those games when it, when, when it was close because they wanted to put more pressure on Jimmy Butler when he got the ball in his hand and make him make passes and not beat them with a shot. And I think when it's, they're going to be trapping, it means Joel is going to be active more and engage more in the defensive possession. So, you know, we're going – we'll, we'll talk about that quote from – from Nick where Howard asked him, asked him, do you want James Harden back? And he skirts around the question first and he says, he's a great player. He goes, well, that doesn't answer the question. Well, well, I would be, you know, he has a decision to make and I'd be very happy if he came back. And then he goes at the end, he kind of whispers. Yeah. So, well, well was- listen, the Raptors were top five in deflections uh, for four straight seasons under Nick nurse. So he's just practicing what he preaches there, right? A good deflection. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, I'm going to answer this question about James Harden. Deflect. That's right. I, you know, at first I thought that was Nick trying to, I thought that was like a nervous tick, the way he said, yeah, they kind of whispered it into the microphone. I thought that was him kind of lying for a second there. And then I realized that he had said it for other questions as well. So that I was kind of like, I was like, okay, maybe not. I Despite from what I've watched, I can't, get myself to buy that James is a Nick nurse type of player. That isn't me saying it for sure. That's just, that isn't me reporting a fact. That's just me trying to figure out like 
nurse's philosophy versus Gene's philosophy and how those are going to come together. You have one guy who's won a championship as a head coach in the not too distant future or uh, past. And you have James who is formerly an all world scorer has been a one man offense. He is obviously mercurial as an, as an, as an individual. I, I wonder how that clash is going to work. And if it doesn't work, James has been known to force his way out of situations he doesn't like to get ugly. So I, I do have some concerns. So my thoughts are, you don't want to have a group where there's not cohesion between the players and the coach, right? You look at Denver and their chemistry has been years in the making, but it seems like the guys who are on the court are on the same wavelength as the coach. Now you don't want Harden to pity sign in Philly You don't want him to sign here because it's the most money he can make. You want him to sign in Philadelphia because the situation suits him just as well as it suits the Sixers. Now, if Harden does resign, which it probably makes sense because they're not going to be able to replicate his production with the open market value right now. And then, of course, you'd have to explain or explore signing trades provided he does one out. But if he does resign, here would be my ask of James, right? You can go out and get 16 buckets. You can go out and get 17 buckets, but he's not above blame because in game six and game seven, he wasn't a perfect contributor, right? So you have to find this happy medium. To James, what does the freedom on a basketball court mean? The freedom to be himself on the court mean? And I think that's something you have to ask James. Like, what do you expect to do? Because on the Sixers last year under Doc, he was third, most nights third in shots attempted behind Embiid and Maxi, But really, he could have led that if he came out aggressive early. I mean, he could have taken the most shots in the Sixers. He had the ball in his hands the most because he played point. He deferred a lot, which the Sixers asked him to do. But I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused on those post-Celtics loss exit interview statements where he said he wants more free to be himself on the court. That's where I would start. What do you envision for yourself? So I think this is where we kind of see an individual who we're like, okay, you're just, we're we're not operating on the same wavelength, if that makes sense. Like, James, you're seeing this of yourself. Everyone else is seeing this. Like, you're not the guy that you were five years, three or four years ago. That's the reality. And I think he's kind of understood that this season. He definitely made an effort to be a selfless guy and be a facilitator and buy in for the betterment of the team. He also made everybody aware that he was trying to buy in and be selfless and quote, to quote him, you know, see where it gets me is what he said. Um, You know, that might be ad libbed very slightly or, you know, whatever, but it's basically roughly what he said. Um, And so, I think that there, there, you know, there, there is validity to being unsure whether he and James can get on that same wavelength in terms of philosophy. And you know, he said he's talked to James, uh, you know, since he got the job, that they're going to meet, you know, one one on one in in person, and you know, figure things out from there if it can work. Um, I was going to, I was trying to get on a call. Um, today to, to get some intel um i couldn't I, I i i couldn't get in contact today 
Um, but I would have liked to do it for this podcast. Just to number one, see like, you know, is, you know, is there a belief that Nick and, and James are going to be able to get on the same page? Um, and then, you know, also, because it came out this week, is the Fred Van Vliet thing legit? Is there like real interest there? Um, uh, what do you make of Fred Van Vliet as a fit for this team? Well, let me answer your first question and then I'll discuss Fred Van Vliet. But my thing is, right, if James, after the Celtics series, made those statements and the answer about Doc was not really like a bad statement, but it was more of like uh, the lack of endorsement for Doc or being passive uh, about Doc, he says, my relationship with them is okay. Within a couple of days, the organization fires Doc Rivers. They open their new head coaching search. Daryl Morey is the general manager. Daniel House obviously picks up his option because he's making close to $5 million, which he probably won't get elsewhere. But the Sixers committed to Harden last year as much as he committed to them. So I don't think the team's commitment is going to change. I think they're doing everything in their power to let him know, hey, we want to commit to you, but it's up to him. Now, for Fred Van Vliet's sake, I think the interest is real. You stay in the Eastern Conference, you eject from a situation that's probably going to get ugly unless they hire a new coach. Now, they do have a pretty good core intact, but it seems like they just need a new culture. Pascal Siakam's been involved in trade talks for upwards of two seasons now. It seems like Toronto is probably headed in a different direction. So it makes sense stay in the East Coast, play for a former coach that you publicly endorsed and wish the best for you get to play with the League's MVP, Tyrese Exey. I think for Fred Van Vliet, he'd love to play in Philly. For me, though, it's a slippery slope because for as much as Fred Van Vliet might space the floor and as creative as a guard and younger than James Harden he is, he is only six feet. So you have a backcourt of Van Vliet and Maxey. And Nurse has had – he's made undersized backcourts work. But I just think that means more work for MB defensively, more weight for whoever they have on the wings to carry defensively. If you've got a backcourt that's that's six foot and six two, they'd probably get chewed out in a lot of games. So I think there are probably better options if you do have to explore sign and trade, but the Sixers don't know what that looks like. And I think as of right now, they just mean James. So here's my take. And this is not me reporting. In case the Sixers are listening to this, <laughs> this yeah. is just me uh, reading tea leaves and connecting dots. Nick Nurse's agent is Andy Miller of Clutch Sports. In February of 2023, uh, Fred Van Vliet signed on with Rich Paul, also of Clutch Sports. Clutch. Last week, they were Fred Van Vliet was on Sham Sharania's television or whatever show, stream show. Sham Sharania. Famously known as a clutch insider. He says, if I am there with Nick next season, after Nick joins the Sixers, if not, then, you know, I wish him, you know, less than the best. Like basically what he said. Typically when you have those relationships, something might, you know, it can put you in favorable, favorable position if something comes of it. Now, I do have some questions. Like, what is Fred Van Vliet going to want if he declines his option? Is he going to want $30 million a year? If he does, 
I'm not buying that. I just can't. I can't. You know, he, he, he's a good player. He's, you know, he's a very good game manager, low turnover type guy. Um, he also is a, not a very good finisher. And his three-point shooting has been spotty in the, you know, he's under, under uh, below average in for, for guards, at least, in two of the last three seasons. So, it's I just don't know. So it's because he takes so many shots. Now, You're about to miss eight of them a game. That's the caveat. How much of it is like he, it's falling off a cliff for him versus when you're the second option and you're one of the top, you know, you and and, and you got to be, you know, taking a lot of shots and the defense has to key in on you specifically. How much of it is you're just taking more difficult shots versus you're just missing open shots? So I think that's a thing to consider. I think if you're leaning all the way into a building Joel team, a uh, building around Joel type team, uh, he is a fascinating fit because he's a very willing catch and shoot three point guy. He will get up 10 threes a game. Uh, J- you know, James was a, was, was a fine catch and shoot three point shooter for the Sixers this season. He wasn't necessarily always comfortable with doing it. There was some, you know, you have to get him to buy into that a little bit more. Um, so I think there are maybe more easier fits there in terms of Fred Van Vliet versus James, but the ceiling on James Harden at this age at 33, 34 is still higher than Fred Van Vliet is going to be at 29, 30. Like if, if, if the task is to win a shootout against the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks uh, in, you know, in, in a big playoff game and it's close in the fourth quarter, are you really trusting your main two guys are going to be Fred or going to, well, your main three guys are going to be Fred Van Vliet, Tyrese Maxey and Joel versus, uh, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Joel. Uh, I just can't get myself to believe that. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. So, I, I think there are valid concerns, especially on the defense side of the ball. Uh, Nick Nurse said he likes to impact the ball. He wants small players to impact the ball. Well, Fred VanVleet and Tyrese Maxey are small players. Uh, you know, they want to play up and they want to get under you. And those are all, you know keywords that he used and Kyle Lowry was very good at that and that kind of what made Toronto's defense work part of why I have questions about whether James will work with with Nick Nurse you know can Nick Nurse be okay with James Harden trying to you know put some pressure on the ball but ultimately breaking like a dam and then suddenly it's we're in rotation we got to find you got to fill in the spots and x out and you know, will Nick Nurse be okay with that? And, you know, if they go in a different direction, Fred Van Vliet has not been a good enough defender, you know, in recent years, even though he's been billed in his career as a very, as a good defensive guard. He's slipped a little bit. If he's not at that, he's not, never been an athletic guy, obviously not that big of a guy either. If that, if that physical, if that physical ability to dig in falls off a cliff even further you're going to be in trouble if your backcourt is that Fred Van Vliet and Tyrese. Um, I do have some concerns. Obviously, as I've expressed, I have concerns there. Now, he also says, uh, you know, we want, you know, Tyrese to be more of a creator, he, drawing guys. And, you know, if not, if not scoring himself and finding the open man, making the right reads. What is your level of belief that Tyrese can be a creator not just for himself, but for others within one off season to come that guy, be a lead ball handler. If it comes to that, 
realistically, I don't know what his ceiling as a playmaker looks like, but it can't hurt, right? His game. That development can't hurt. I was of the belief that he is a score-first player, and the only thing he should be doing is scoring the basketball, which it could be true. You could see him in a Jamal Murray or a De'Aaron Fox-esque role where late game, you draw something up, or for stretches throughout a game, you could lean on him as a scorer. But if you're looking at future, five now, three years from now, even next season, if you can't retain James, it can't hurt to have Maxi experiment as a playmaker a bit. And I think he's shown flashes at getting a foot in the paint and kicking to the corner or running the two man and making the right read hooking or going to the wing, whatever. So I think it can't hurt. And as a scoring ceiling, I think Maxi can get up to 25, 27 points per game, but would it be the worst thing if he hung out around 22 with instead of three assists, now maybe six assists, he's moving the ball a bit and getting others involved as well just becoming more dangerous with the ball in his hands? So I I think 27 a game is probably hard for me to buy if he's, you know, the second option and Joel is the first option, especially if Joel is, you know, an MVP candidate. It's going to be hard for an undersized guard to be doing that. Not next year. Not next year. He couldn't couldn't eclipse 27. But I just meant maybe a peak for him. Yeah. So I think, number one, I think people kind of undersell how much more difficult it is to become a creator for yourself if you are not a good enough jump shooter, whereas I think it's much easier to become a creator for yourself if you are already an established jump shooter. Because Tyrese has shown that he can be a really good jump shooter. He's only shot 43% from three this year. So if they have to play up on him like he's a jump shooter and he already has the speed to become, you know, to, 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 to blow by guys. We're talking about, he has to just have counter moves to get to his jumper and, and create space for himself. And that is something that if you already have the jumper, you're very big step of the way there already. So I think Tyrese can become a creator for himself. It's more putting him in the pick and roll. And does he see the guy open in the opposite corner? Does he, know how to draw the, the little man out and then fire to the weak side corner and plug that open three-point shooter because he's already created the space for him um, by, by dragging his man over and help. Those are the things that Tyrese is going to have to do. Um, like, I, I, I want to uh, just mention another name to cut you off because I thought of it when you said that, Tyler Hero. And maybe the difference between Tyler Hero and Jordan Poole right now. Jordan Poole, now there was a regression this year, but a lot of what Jordan Poole did for Golden State was come off of pin downs, catch movement, shooter, flow of the offense, spot on the floor and shoot it. Whereas Ty Hero is more of he can create his own shot, but if you put him in the pick and roll, he's a pretty good facilitator, a pretty good pick and roll ball handler. So I think for Maxi, he could be dual threat offensively. Yeah, and I also think that Tyrese, his usage has been low, right? Like he's not, he's not had a lot of experience as lead ball handler. Um, but I think in given the amount of usage he's had, his turnover rate's actually pretty good. Like he has a usage of 23.9%, which is like upper 30th percentile of, of, of combo guards in the league. And his turnover rate's only 7.5%, which is very, 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 very good. 
And then if you make that turnover rate as a function of usage, in other words, out of all of the time that he uses the ball, how many of those possessions and the turnovers, it's only like a third of those possessions, which is, which is still pretty good. Um, I just, I, I have concerns if that first year, like, uh, you know, that first year with him trying to learn point guard's position on the, on the fly, mm-hmm. if it comes to that, um, it, is that going to be like, you know, uh, the Lou Williams year under Eddie Jordan when it was Andre Miller was out and and and, and they're like, well, we're just going to give the keys to Lou Will and let him figure it out when he was clearly a shooting guard. Like, he wasn't a point guard and it showed. And I also think that you end up in a spot where like, look at Boston. And that isn't to say that the Sixers would be the Boston Celtics, but there's a very clear limit to how far your offense can go in the playoffs if you don't have a legit point guard, which the Celtics do not. So I, I think this is all predicated on James having to come back. And new, like obviously that isn't breaking news to anybody. But I, I just I have a lot of questions about how he and Nick Nurse are going to see eye to eye. And if it blows up, I think it could really blow up. What, like if, gonna, if, if the it, uh, cohesion it, isn't there between it, James Nurse and the if, if, group? If James – I think I think there's a chance that James and Nurse don't get along. Um, and I think there's a chance that Nick, that, that Nick and Joel don't get along because – Really? You know, I, I – I, I don't know that I believe Joel is going to buy into being more of a facilitating center. And this is all me just trying to wrap my head around like, okay, you're, you're not just trying to get one starter buy in to different style of play. You need both of your best players to buy in. And I still think that nurse was the right hire. Like I really do. I think he was the best coach available. I think he's going to be a great coach, uh, you know, for, 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 for this team. I just think that if we are asking ourselves, what is more likely to happen, you know, it goes up in smoke or it works. I think I would still lean into it works, but I don't think this is going to be like a, a, a small bust. I think if it busts, it's going to be a massive bust. I understand what you're saying. And and look, we'll never know what these guys are thinking and we're not in a position where we can give them advice. Right. But if you can try to reason with them, a guy just won his MVP. That's the most flattering accolade you can win in the regular season. All NBA teams, now they're shifting the narrative so you can have an Embiid, Jokic, Giannis on all NBA first team and one guy doesn't get left out and get their feelings hurt, whatever. But as far as personal accolades in the regular season, Embiid check off everything now with the exception of defensive player of the year. But he's always in contention. So you get your MVP. Now what's more important to win more MVPs or to win a championship? And I think MB genuinely wants to win a championship. Okay. So let's track what's happened in each of the past three failures, four failures, whatever. There have been freak injuries, but notably in the playoffs, there's a regression in Embiid's game and that regression, you can't just chalk up to, well, he didn't have it. He didn't have legs under him. So the jump shot wasn't falling, whatever. A lot of it comes down to recognizing doubles, putting trust states so you can kick out of the double team and those guys around you are going to do the rest. And I think for Embiid, it's as simple as this. Look, you can keep playing the way you want to play, but here's the reality. It doesn't translate this way in the postseason because teams key in on you. They send doubles harder. They prepare more. 
So the next step for Embiid's game in the postseason is that double recognition and passing, being more of a facilitator. So you can be willing in the regular season, but that needs to translate in the postseason because that's where it matters most. And part of it is you need to surround him with the right guys. You have to do what Milwaukee did and do what Denver did and put the right guys around Embiid who are going to snipe where like Bruce Brown can bring the ball up, can play off ball. KCP, vocal on the sideline as well as on, like you got to surround them with the right players. That's part of the battle. But Embiid has to take some accountability as well. Hey, look, in order for us to win in the playoffs, in order for me to advance my resume, I'm going to have to start passing the ball more. I'm going to have to start recognizing passing and contributing without the basketball more on the offensive end. And I want to be like very clear. I, I, this is not me saying that I think it's a bad hire. I think it's gonna like all hell is gonna break loose. Like I, I think if I if like, I think I would lean towards this panning out because Joel is number one most important player, and he has shown throughout his career a willingness to learn and a willingness to be coachable, and he picks things up quickly. Um, and you know if he fall if he if he falls in line that. As a leader of the team, that will set the tone for everybody else. And so I think that there is a very strong chance this was the right move. And that's beyond the fact that he was just the best coach in the market. I just think that you have the right, you have you have the, your best players at the right stage of his career where he could buy in to being to, to, to changing the way that he does things, the way that he operates. I just when I asked my question, and because I had some friends that gave me shit about this for asking it this way. My whole thing is this. Typically, defense takes longer to come together than offense does when you have a new coach. Um, that's historically what happened. And my theory was, given the way that the Sixers went out and given what I believe was the reason that they went out the way that they did against Celtics, they were going to go for a more offensive over- overhaul than a defensive overhaul. And so... I was wondering, okay, I wonder if, you know, Nurse suspects that, defense, that offense is going to take a little bit longer to come uh, to come around with, you know, as he is integrating what he wants to do with the Sixers. And he kind of said, like, yeah, he gave a couple reasons why offense, you know, like, like he, he posed the question back to me of, can we do this, that, and the other on offense? And so I think he kind of does believe that offense might take a little bit longer to come around. And as you're going through the early stages of the regular season and Joel has the pressure of he's the MVP that, uh, that, that, that bar fell over the court in game six and seven, um, you know, in that series, does he kind of struggle to find his footing within this offense? Uh, and we're thinking through this, thinking through the style that nurse wants to play. And then if, if they do start out slow, does he start to be like, you know, wearing, you know, you know, being the honest guy that he is in press conferences and kind of wearing the emotions on his sleeve. Nurse has had a history of, you know, uh, airing out the laundry per se to the media before he talks to his players. I do wonder if those things could happen first. And if things do take, you know, if, if they do trough before they peak a little bit, does that make sense? Of course. Now, the difference between maybe a Phoenix who's undergoing some change with their front office and Philly, which Nurse noted at the beginning of his presser, is he feels like he's going to be taken care of. Between Daryl and Josh Harris, 
he did his research. He's been around the team for a while, just playing them and seeing some of those guys that he feels comfortable in Philadelphia. So I think it's going to go fine. And listen, a lot of teams that are contending, a lot of teams that are playing for a championship, they have the same blueprint. I mean, you can only get so creative offensively. Your best player is going to have the ball the most. They're going to take the most shots. The backcourt usually contains the point guard and, of course, your second best score or whatever. So they're going to carry that secondary scoring load. And then everybody else contributes. What we know about Nurse is with the Raptors teams, their identities are defensive. The Sixers will likely stem from a defensive identity. Their defense will make up their identity, and then everything else will follow. But offensively, I don't think you have to do too much overhaul. I think he's just going to feature Embiid similar to how Doc did, maybe a little differently, maybe just change the spots or how early or how late he touches the ball into a possession, preferably earlier. But you're not really going to feature Embiid too differently because he deserves that many shots and those looks. It's more about unlocking the guys around Embiid. And when I say that, you know, you look at the Sixers of the past two, three years, sure, they produced a ton of buckets out of the two-man game. They produced a lot of isolation buckets. But if those two players who were either in the two-man or the one player isolating and beat Tobias Harden, whatever, if they weren't scoring, there wasn't really much outside of that. And even on the possessions where they ran the two-man or they ran an ISO, there wasn't movement around that. You watch Miami, Boston, Denver. Whoever has advanced past the second round, there's movement. There's two-man game going on the right side of the floor and then three playing on the left. Or there's some movement on the left. There's movement on the top of the key of the right. Like, you got to have guys moving. You got to have different sets. And that's how you might be able to unlock guys around Embiid. So that's where I think the change offensively between Doc and Nurse will be. But I don't think it's going to look crazy different. Let me ask you two questions here, and then I'll let, and then we can then I'll let you go for your the rest of your Sunday night. All right. Um, <laughs> well, say it. Don't, don't, at least, at least say at least sound like you're happy. Well, no, <laughs> you you said that like I'm in a rush to go enjoy my Sunday night. I'm not doing you know I'm gonna watch the game, but I'm not doing anything. All right, fair enough. Um, do you think that Nurse believes Joel is closer to a finished product? or is just scratching the surface of what he can be? I mean, Doc would say that Embiid had a lot of room to grow, and you've yet to see the best of Embiid, and Embiid will attest to that. So I'm going to go with the latter, that he's just scratching the surface. I would say he's probably close to a finished product as a scorer. I don't know what else the guy can add. He's got incredible footwork for his size. He could score everywhere within the perimeter. He could stretch the floor a bit. Uh, But I think the passing is that final remaining key to putting the entire puzzle together for Embiid's game. That's the final piece. So I'm going to say just scratching the surface because if you get that passing right, the recognition and the trust, then maybe you advance past the second round. So I kind of wonder if – like we're so used to watching Joel and he's like this dominant, unbelievable scorer. And we're so conditioned to like being, being, you know, impressed uh, by him and, you know, wanting others to take, wanting, wanting others and outsiders to appreciate him more because of how, because of the history of what he's doing and because of how unchartered his level of skill is. 
I do wonder if we, as you know, like as as media, you know, fans, whatever. I, I do wonder if locally, Joel, it, it's kind of it's kind of like we don't even understand just how much better or perhaps incomplete Joel is. I, I... Because Nurse said I would like him to be more. You know, like, the short answer is yes. I like him to be more of a facilitator. And I, I, I the more I watch the Raptors, I'm like. You know, like damn, there are so many more ways that his game could be versatile. Oh, um, yeah, and you know, the, what, there are so many more ways that he could become like a weapon to the Sixers and to you know, and and make it harder for defenses to guard him. Um, so I, I do kind of think that he, I think Nick views him as like he is two thirds of the way there. He's an unbelievable scorer. He's an unbelievable defender, and Nurse even said, like when they when they asked him about Joel, he mentioned defense first. That's what I noticed. I I, I think Nurse thinks of him like he's a nearly like master masterpiece of a defensive player. He's getting there on offense, but I can do more with him. He said he's and, a very what he says a very very skilled scorer or player. I don't remember was it. I scorer? forget which I forget, I forget the exact word he used, but okay. it sounded to me like he felt like I'm impressed, but I could be more impressed. You can tweak the tendencies a bit, and uh, to your point, maybe making the Sixers more of a threat based on what he can do offensively. I keep making this comparison because I see it every time I watch Denver. Jokic is more of a point guard than Embiid is. Embiid is more of a score-first player. That's obvious. But on the possessions where Jokic doesn't have the ball, where he starts with the ball and handoffs and screens, whatever, you'll notice he makes the right pass. He makes the right decision almost every time, Jokic. But if he doesn't have the ball and that ball's in the corner, he'll follow the ball. He'll get down into the paint. He'll follow the ball. And then you get an easy look at the basket if he gets the ball back. If not, he's in a, he's in a good position to rebound, whatever the case may be. So I think for Embiid, yeah, the scoring is unparalleled, and that's why you have to throw the book at a guy like Embiid because he's just going to overpower every one-on-one matchup, and he's pretty good at overpowering doubles alone as a scorer. But you can't do that in the postseason. You have to pass. And that starts by building good habits in the regular season. So if Nertz gets him more comfortable making reads, like quickly he gets the ball and he's rid of it. As soon as that double comes, not taking so long to read it. And, and he's maybe more of a dangerous offensive player. My second question is this. I guess it's kind of a statement, kind of a question either way, but how much more of a tactician do you think Nurse is than Doc is, or Doc was, is? Meaning, like the X's and O's. Yeah. That I can't say. What I will say is, if you hold a position, if you hold a job for twenty-four years, you're doing something right. Uh, speaking about Doc, he's well respected. He's been doing this for a long time. Commentators love him. Players opposing on the team he coaches. They all love Doc, right? But the one thing that every player who doesn't play for Doc anymore but speaks to the media about him says is his adjustments, his in-game adjustments aren't on par with what's going on in the game or 
Maybe it's it's uh, it doesn't resonate with the whatever. Where I think the difference is, is Nurse is probably more of a cutthroat guy. He's probably a little better in the huddle because he's actually going to use some X's and O's and he's going to try to draw something up that's going to be able to directly uh, impact the game. Whereas Doc seems like more of a motivator. I think the Sixers are going to – I think the, I think the fans are going to be like shocked by how much of a – how much – things that they haven't seen before they're gonna see now i think this dude's a freaking surgeon from the, yeah. in the way that he prepares like the the things that the toronto is doing they are like they're, they're switching everything then oh so, oh wait another not there just going to uh switch this uh, step up screen from jj reddick because they don't really care if their worst defenders on ben simmons because they don't think he's a perimeter threat and oh by the way that means Kawhi is now on jj like they, they are so those teams were so connected on defense. Um, and uh, I, I guess, do you think that the half-court offenses that we've seen from Toronto since Kawhi left, do you think that those are more indicative of Nurse's aptitudes as a tactician, as a tactician or the, the one that was Toronto's playoff offense in 2019 when they won? Which do you think is more closely indicative of, of, of his mind? It's difficult to say because you have Kawhi Leonard compared to not having Kawhi Leonard. So that's going to be a drastic difference. But I think four years without Kawhi, three seasons, four seasons, is more of a body of work. So I'd say probably Toronto of three, four years past. But, you know, the Raptors have always been very long. They've been athletic. They've been prideful about their defense. They can push the pace. These are things that the Sixers might not align with. They have been a little slower, more methodical, play at their own pace, spot up, post up, face up. So I can't necessarily say Nurse is going to come in and apply what he did in Toronto to the Sixers personnel. And again, a lot depends on if they have Harden or not. But I do think he's going to do some real creative things, such as running maybe a too big lineup. Maybe Paul Reed, if they resign him, is out there with them beat. Or maybe he sticks with a small lineup. Or maybe he combats stuff guy here and then there's some off-ball movement uh Keats and Bede you really don't know but I do think Nurse is someone who prepares I think he does his homework and because of what he's built in Toronto with these teams that they they win the hustle plays they get the loose balls they limit opponent points off of turnovers and rebounds they get on the glass I think the Sixers are going to have a defensive identity first and then their offense is going to look maybe a little different but uh that remains to be seen I think Nurse's offensive intellect is brilliant in a lot of ways. Like he, he doesn't just let a, an advantage hot, like, you know, go, go to waste. He's going to find the edge and he's going to pick on it and pick on it and pick on it until the defense or the, the opposing defense proves that they can handle it mm-hmm. and that they have a counter to it. And he is going to scratch at every itch. He's going to make sure that he has, he, he, he is used every, every move in his quote unquote toolkit like he like like he said in his press conference um i I think it's a weird blend of his level of ruthlessness as a floor as a general and architect of 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 a game plan is more coming to light in in 2019 but i think it's more impressive how creative he was in the years since because there was not a lot of create there was not a lot of 
um, self-creating power on those on those recent teams. Uh, they get to the second round as a two seed with Kyle Lowry after and Zach Siakam stepping up after Kawhi leaves. They get back to the playoffs last season, um, and there just hasn't been like a ton of shooting, a lot of self-creating. But he's come up with some very creative stuff in in you know since Kawhi left, and so. I think the Sixers are in a good, some good hands. I just think that the fans need to be cautious with how quickly they expect it all to come along. So this isn't going to be a, you know, I would be surprised if this is a, oh, first week they look ready to go. Like, I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, some bumps in the road, some, you know, frustrating losses before they hit their peak later in the season. Brock, what do you got coming up? Streams Monday, Wednesday, Friday on my channel, YouTube, Brock Knows Ball, as well as whatever breakdowns I feel like making. Maybe an Al Horford one, a Markel Fultz one, visiting some former Sixers players and uh, some errors that we didn't really enjoy living through, but we did. We survived. We made it to this point. So check out the YouTube, Twitter as well, and uh, maybe some stuff on TikTok soon. Krell, I appreciate you as always. He is Brock Landis. You can find him on Twitter at Landis Brock. I am Austin Krell. Find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. This has been the Feed to Embiid. We'll see you next time, everybody. Embiid stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is.